ought to be sort of a, a, an act of prayer, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like this morning, but we're going to ground ourselves in the scriptures in John chapter 15, a well-known verse perhaps to many of you. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, teaches this to his disciples, and he teaches it to us today. He says, I am the, vi- the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is a word of God for the people of God. Father, we ask that you would give us the ears to hear your word afresh and anew this morning. Our longing is to hear from you, God, to understand you a little bit better. Have mercy on us that we might achieve this task. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray, amen. We live in a terribly, terribly busy and distracted world. I am reminded of this every Sunday morning as I arrive in church and my iPhone reports to me how many hours I spent on my phone over the past week. I don't know if you've seen this feature on your smartphone, but mine reports to me every single week how many hours I spent on my phone, and it is embarrassing. Every week, I am humiliated when my phone tells me that I've spent, you know, four and a half hours on the average day looking at my screen, and it tells me exactly how I spent those hours on my phone, how many hours I spent checking email, how many hours I spent checking text messages, and I won't tell you how many hours or the different kinds of games that I play on my phone because that would be just humiliating. Let's just say I play Candy Crush way too long. It is not uncommon for us to spend our time attending to the devices that we carry around in our pockets and purses. How many of you can recount moments in the past week, perhaps, where you've seen a group of teenagers all hanging out together while they're all staring at the screens on their phones around a table? But to be sure, this isn't just true of young people, it's true of all of us. I won't post a picture, although I did take a picture I was at a gathering here in our church, I won't say which one because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, with a bunch of adults and we were sitting around the table before we were about to start what it is that we were going to do and I looked around and all of the adults sitting around the table were all staring at their smartphones and I began snickering to myself because I realized that this happens with all of us and I did take a picture so there will be blackmail perhaps on some of you. You see, there's those moments in our lives that used to be filled with boredom. And those times in which we were only present with our own thoughts have been vanquished by our smartphones. 
Standing in line at the grocery store, good time to check your email. Long flight on an airplane, good time to pass some difficult candy crush levels. <laughs> Wake up in the morning, that's the best time to see who has commented on the things that you wrote on Twitter or Facebook or to check the latest trending news stories. Are you stopped at a red light? What better time to respond to the text messages that await you? See, the development of technology and apps and programs are all vying for one single thing in your life, your attention. In fact, there's a term for the intentional and strategic effort companies make for your attention. They call it the attention economy. You see, the goals of advertisers and marketers and so many tech companies is to grab hold of and fix your attention on the things they want you to fix your attention on. Or as the CEO of Netflix once said in an interview, at Netflix, we are competing for our customers' time. So our competitors include Snapchat, YouTube, Sleep, etc. Is they want your attention as long as they can get it, even if that means you do not sleep. But why do they want your attention, you might ask? To help you achieve your goals? <laughs> to make your life a little bit more convenient? To assist you in your own personal growth and spend your time the way that you want to spend your time? I don't think so. Do you know what makes more money than movies? theme parks, and baseball combined every single year. Slot machines. Slot machines. A former ethicist at Google likened the efforts of their company to the use of slot machines. Every time you check your email, it's like you're pulling a lever. Every time you check the comments and responses on your social media, pulling the lever. Every time you refresh your newsfeed, pulling the lever. A few seconds here, a few seconds there, they just begin to add up like the pennies and nickels in a slot machine and they do it by fixing your attention on a meaningless, useless task, but they are getting rich off of it. Our attention, as it turns out, has become a commodity, something that somebody else wants to acquire from you. In his book, Letters to Malcolm, C.S. Lewis writes these words, we may ignore but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. It is perhaps the lack of awareness of God's presence in our lives that may be most harmed by the world's constant attempts to grab our attention. The text we read this morning uses the phrase, remain in me, or other translations use the word abide in me as instructive for how the Christian woman and man ought to live their lives with God. To abide or to remain is to live in constant union with Jesus, to live in constant relationship with Jesus, with an awareness that you were living your life before him always. That is, we are living in union and in relationship with Jesus everywhere we go, in our neighborhoods, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our schools, in our workplaces, everywhere we go, God is in all those places. There is nowhere we can go apart from his presence and to remain in or to abide in Jesus, to live with an awareness and knowledge of that reality everywhere that you go. And Jesus' instruction to us is to live our lives with that awareness in the presence of God. And prayer, church, 
is the practice that keeps us connected to this reality in our lives, that we are continuously living in the presence of God. This is why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continuously or pray without ceasing. Some translations read it. It's amazing to me that in prayer, and as long as I've been praying in my life, which is almost, I don't know, it's not as long as some of you have been praying in your lives, to say the least. But as long as I've been praying in my life, I I feel like I should be able to maintain focus in my prayers a lot better than I actually can. But I still find myself, when I'm praying, thinking about the day's to-do list, what I'm going to eat for breakfast, if I need to iron my shirt or if I don't want to iron my shirt to go to work that day. And there's a litany of things that run through my mind as I'm praying for some of you sometimes. I apologize. But as I was thinking about it this week, I was reminded that this too is what should be going on in the midst of my day-to-day life, but in reverse. See, our minds will always wander to life and the activities of life when we are praying But what we need to do is cultivate a mind that wanders to prayer in the midst of living our ordinary day-to-day lives. That is when I'm going to do my to-do list, in the midst of doing the activities, my mind's to drift sometimes to prayer. My mind ought to wander to prayer while I'm eating breakfast. Although that's a little difficult because I have Levi and he's a monster at breakfast. But there should be, in the midst of ordinary activity, driving my car, meeting with people, my mind should drift towards the Lord and in prayer. You see, God is all around. Our lives are lived in his presence whether we're aware of it or not. But are we too distracted to notice? Are we able to give God our attention throughout our day? Are we able to live this sort of abiding with this abiding awareness that we are in relationship and union with Jesus. One of the great challenges I faced when getting married was the organization of our family calendar. I don't know if any of you have faced this difficulty or are currently facing this difficulty, but syncing our calendars to be on the same rhythms was not smooth sailing for Paige and I right off the bat. One of the challenges we faced in organizing our calendars was my inability to remember that I was married. I forgot all of the time that I was married. I had done ministry so long as a single person, I was used to like scheduling sort of meetings in the evenings or going to meet so-and-so on a Saturday morning that I would just, any day, any weekend, any evening, I would sort of fill my calendar with. There were times where I would just commit myself to football games or dance musicals and concerts and whatever the litany of things that youth pastors have to do in youth ministry, I would just sign myself up for. I would sometimes just, yeah, I'm going to go to this family's house for dinner, and that's going to be great because it's just, I get to connect with them, I get to be with the families or whatever. And I thought to myself, like, when I got married, like, this is so great that Paige can do all this stuff with me. Isn't she so excited to sign up for my job along with signing up to our marriage? But it didn't take me very long to figure out that this was going to end my marriage if I didn't figure it out. It finally dawned on me at some point that regardless if Paige was around or not, I needed to consider her in the commitments that I was making in my life, whether I was gonna do something or not do something. And this is how I developed my default answer to any demand of my time outside sort of normal work hours. And you have probably experienced this at some point in me. Whenever somebody asks me to do something or if I can go to something or if I can meet somewhere, I always respond with the same phrase, let me check with Paige. Let me check with Paige. I need to talk to my wife. You see, the whole 
of my life is lived within the context of my relationship to Paige. I abide in that relationship. Whether I'm at work, in my neighborhood, with my family, with my friends, and especially when it comes to my calendar, I abide entirely with my wife. It's not that I'm always literally thinking about Paige, though that still happens some days and realize I really still like this relationship that I'm in with her, but it's the way that my life is lived and organized. It always considers her, always considers her. This is what it means to abide in relationship, to live with an awareness and to live with a consideration of that relationship in every situation and circumstance. A man known as Brother Lawrence once wrote a great book on Christian spirituality titled Practicing the Presence of God. And in it, he writes these words. It was a great delusion to think that times of prayer ought to be different than other times. It is just as important to adhere to God by action in the time of action as by prayer in the time of prayer. That is, regardless if we're engaged in a scheduled time of prayer, our devotional or quiet time, or simply living our lives day to day in the ordinary mundane tasks of what we have to do, we ought to live our lives in consideration of our relationship with Jesus and awareness that we are living before him always. And prayer is the practice by which we cultivate a capacity to be aware of God's presence in the world. It's the means by which we are empowered to live in an abiding relationship with Jesus. The ways of praying that we've been reflecting on in this teaching series so far were not mentioned merely so that you have more tools for your prayer life. If we walk away from this sermon series or this teaching series and, and we just, we're kind of, and we don't actually engage in new ways of praying in our life. We're like the man who buys tools and power tools and fills his garage with no projects because he might have to use them one day. That's kind of me, actually. That is me. There are tools, but there's no project. You see, the aim of a praying life is to persist in the project of abiding in Jesus. This is why we pray. Not just so that we pray, but so that we might abide in him, to live the whole of our lives in his presence and in union with him. Just as I try to be mindful of Paige in my life throughout my day, I do my best to be mindful of God's presence in my life throughout my day, taking my best to abide in him and he in me. And prayer is this bridge that connects us to this reality. And it is in living in God's presence day to day that our lives are transformed By the grace of God, we are not merely saved by grace at one point in time. The call for the Christian woman and man is to live in grace every day. Jesus says in our passage this morning that as we abide in him and he in us, then our lives will bear fruit. As we practice the presence of God in our lives, through prayer, our lives will begin to bear fruit and bear witness to God's grace in our lives. One of the challenges I think we have sometimes in the church and as Christian people is that we're so interested in the fruit that we go after the fruit. We read passages like Galatians 5 that give us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. I think I got them all. I don't know. And we're like, man, I want to be more patient. I want to be more loving. I want to be more joyful. I want to be more in control of myself. And we try, like, I'm going to try really hard to have this fruit bear itself in my life. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, abide in me. 
And then the fruit comes after that. And if we shortcut that, we'll never get to the fruit. We have to live lives that abide every day, every moment in union with Jesus. In 1941, Life magazine ran an article about Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Feller. Feller was described by the great Ted Williams. I don't know if there's baseball fans in here. I know there's at least one, Mike, you and me. Mike and I have coffee meetups just to talk about baseball. It's awesome. But Feller was described by the great Ted Williams as the fastest and best pitcher I ever saw during my career. The article in Life magazine was titled, Bob Feller, Baseball Idol Devotes Himself to Care and Worship of his right arm. (laughs) And the article describes how Bob Feller was mindful of his right arm in every situation that he was in, not just when he was throwing baseballs. When he opened doors, it was never with his right arm, his pitching arm, it was always with his left arm. When he walked through a crowd, he would guide himself through the crowd, right arm, down by the side, don't wanna injure that puppy, and I'm pushing people out of the way with my left arm. When he would walk through a dark room, have you ever like walked through a dark room? I did this the other day and I was like, it is really dark in this house. And you're like walking through, feeling yourself through. He'd always, right arm down here, left arm feeling out. I don't know if I'm going to break a finger or what it is. He said that he had been so mindful of protecting his arm that even when he stumbles and he would fall, his natural instinct was to stick out his left arm and to protect his right arm. This man was obsessed with protecting his precious right arm. There are stories even that when he would chop wood, he would always hold his arm behind his back and he would have the ax and just whack away because he did not want to hurt himself. There are stories about when he would read a newspaper or a magazine or a book, he would hold the magazine or the book in his left hand and he would do some sort of exercise with his fingers to like build up the strength in his right hand. The whole of Feller's life had in mind his arm. Everything was ordered around it. This made him, according to Life magazine, the most celebrated pitcher in real life. Ordering your life this way surely makes the title of the article relevant, devoting yourself to the care and worship of his right arm. But it demonstrates how care and worship and devotion can form us. And this isn't just true when it comes to baseball. It's true of our devotion, care, and worship of God in prayer. It forms us. Brother Lawrence also wrote in that famed work these words, our sanctification does not depend on changing what we do, but in doing for God's sake what we normally do for our own sake. It is sad to see how many people mistake the means for the end, addicting themselves to religious works which they perform very imperfectly because of their human or selfish motives. That is What living in the presence of God does is invite us to do ordinary things in our lives, but in a way that honors God. And when we do this, it begins to form us into the likeness of Jesus. As we pray and abide in relationship with Jesus, our day-to-day living will be shaped and formed into his likeness. And perhaps we might be the most celebrated people and church in our community if we did so. I want to suggest one way that we can abide in relationship with Jesus in our day-to-day living. When I was coaching soccer up in Santa Barbara, I got connected with an organization called Fellowship of Christian Athletes, or FCA for short. And part of FCA's mission is to invest time and energy into Christian coaches that happen to be coaching on high school campuses. 
And I can recall the leader of FCA in Santa Barbara, he's a good friend of mine, once sharing with me a practice that he does before he goes into training sessions or games with his soccer team. He said when he pulls into the parking lot at, at the school, but before getting out, he sits there for just an additional 30 seconds of time just in his car. And he spends just 30 seconds praying and inviting God to use him and his relationships with these athletes to give God glory and to bear witness to Jesus. And this was how he reminded himself that he was living in the presence of God even on the soccer field, even in the midst of those relationships. And I thought it was really cheesy sounding, like for sure. I was like, dude, that's so like Christian of you to do that. That's so cheesy. But I decided to give it a try. I've begun this practice in my own coaching, but I've also begun to do it in other arenas of my life as well. When I park in the office here at the church, when I pull into the driveway at home, when I park to meet somebody for coffee or for lunch, I sit ever so briefly, sometimes not even 30 seconds, sometimes five seconds because I'm in a hurry and I'm late, just to remind myself that I'm in God's presence and I need to choose to live out my relationship with Jesus in this context. And this practice of just brief moments of prayer is all that we need, perhaps, to maintain our abiding relationship and union with Jesus. And when we do that, our lives bear fruit. Church, prayer is at the heart of our religion and at the heart of what connects us to Jesus. And we have to discover how to cultivate a life of prayer in our own personal lives. This teaching series that we've been going through sort of mapped out perhaps indirectly, but now it's very direct for you. Perhaps a way of praying as a starting point to you of beginning to cultivate a life or a praying life for yourself. If I were to outline sort of a way that I think it would be best for us as a church and the way that I try and practice my own life of prayer, it is this way. In the mornings, I spend time doing those kingdom prayers that we talked about. Like, remember that was like five weeks ago. That was so long ago. But just spending 15 to 20, 25 minutes just praying kingdom-oriented prayers, thanksgiving, confession, discernment, presenting my request before God in the morning. At lunchtime, reciting the Lord's Prayer and just spend a minute just in quietness and stillness to remind yourself that you are in the presence of God in the midst of your day. And in the evening, Spending five minutes, 10 minutes examining your day. What went well? Where were you aligned with God? Where were you misaligned with God? But whatever it is, you have to figure this out for yourself. This is what I try and do. I fail at it most days and most weeks. I get a little bit here and a little bit there. This, I wish I was better. I'm still growing and nurturing this in my own life. But for you, you have to develop and cultivate a, a praying life if you're ever going to bear the fruit that Jesus wants you to bear in our church and in our community. Prayer isn't an end in itself. If I do this list here that was up there, that's not like, oh, great, I did it. I'm a super great Christian. That is not the end. That's just a vehicle. It's the bridge that connects us with the very heart and life of God. My hope is that our church would be so connected to our loving creator that we couldn't help but be formed into his image. And this is the kind of life that is available to you this day. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you give us the tools we need for relationship. God, we thank you that you invite us again and again that you are patient, 
like a good father with his children in nurturing and developing and growing us to maturity in faith. And I ask, Lord, that you would cultivate within our congregation, with the individuals that sit in this room, a growing and expansive life of faith that they might find maturity and holiness and that as a result just be Jesus everywhere that they go. We thank you, God, that you invite us into this kind of life that you've chosen to have life with us and in our praying, God, we choose to have life with you. Church, rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And as you do, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and go in the confidence that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.